I blah. Hello. You've uh, you've caught me in the middle of meal prepping. I took a little pause to come down and record a couple episodes with you. Oh, what you meal prepping? Uh, today I'm making pumpkin goat cheese baked ziti. Um, I still haven't quite figured out the other meal. I think I'm going to do a lemon parmesan rice dish with pork loin. Mm. And then I'm also grinding my own chicken. Check you out. Whereas I'm just going to have a pizza tonight. Oh, this isn't for tonight. This is for next week. Oh, right, right. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. (laughs) No, Friday is my day to, like, do my meal prep for the following week so that I have something to eat all week long. Oh, I'm excited to have a a beer after this, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds nice. Right, what are we talking about? Uh, You brought up something when we were getting set up. I guess someone mentioned sugar addiction. Yeah. Uh, he, He had a story, and it made me want to record an episode about it. Well, I got into a little hoo ha with a trainer who works at my gym who's been watching my social media content and uh, she basically implied that I said sugar is good which I do not on my videos I just do not, I don't say it's bad that's the only difference, you know I think if anything is good or if you class anything as extremely good or anything as extremely bad like you'll probably have a biased opinion rather than a neutral opinion so you know, I'm very impartial to a lot of things, which I think's a healthier relationship than to feel one way or another about it. And, you know, and you put that method across to other people as well. Um, so anyway, I said that I, I never said it's good. And she said that people are addicted to sugar. It's not easy to just stop consuming it. You know, it's like putting an alcoholic in a pub. They're not going to be able to moderate it. Um, you know, because it's something they're addicted to, and I, and to my, uh, how I like to always say it is people are not addicted to sugar, they're addicted to how certain foods make them feel. That's that's my uh, theory behind it. And you know, she um, didn't agree, so we ended the conversation as we'll agree to disagree. Mm. Yeah, uh, I always phrase it as between the middle of two extremes lies the truth. Uh, Yeah. You know, extremity in either direction is usually not a good idea. Yeah. Um, But I will, I I mean, I will comfortably say that I think she's wrong. (laughs) So in this case, I think you and I are debating this, you know, mysterious third person that's not here. But I think it's a good thing to talk about and bring up. I guess both sides, but really talk about, like, does sugar addiction really exist? Um, yeah, okay, let's get your point of view on this, and, you know, if we're on the same page, um, let's, it's going to be hard to counter it, because if we both feel the same way about it, you know, maybe it'll be good to re-come to re- revisit this episode, and we'll get someone on board who actually does believe sugar is addic- addictive. Yeah, um, in which case we would want to make sure we do plenty of research so we can destroy that person. (laughs) Um, So I don't believe sugar addiction exists. And I think there's the the logical 
argument that, you know, I mean, even like, I guess we'll call this anecdotal logic or, or, you know, assumed logic to some degree, but if sugar was truly addicting, somebody would have injected it. People would be, you know, snorting the packets of sugar in the coffee shop every time they sit down, you know, pixie sticks and Swedish fish would be the two most uh, like highest selling foods on the planet. You know, those things are pure sugar. Um, what I think people mean, and I also think people don't use the term sugar correctly. The the foods that seem to be addictive in people's minds are the hyper palatable foods that contain sugar. You know, cookies and right, cookies and cake are as much flour and butter and egg, etc., as they are sugar. This is not a sugar food; it's a food that contains sugar, but it also contains the other, you know, delicious ingredients. So I think it's just the nature of people. You know, things that contain sugar taste good doesn't make them addicting. I think they're just foods that people have behavioral issues with. They don't know how to control themselves. They uh, falsely demonize them. They cut them out of their lives, etc. And then that leads to binging. And they're foods that are easy to overeat. And so when it's time to lose weight, they point the finger at that food instead of at themselves and say, well, this food's the devil. Get it out of my life. And not, you know, their relationship with said food. Well, that's like how a lot of addicts, um, you know, they treat things they're addicted to. They go cold turkey on it because they don't think they'll ever be able to learn how to moderate what they're consuming. Um, Which, I guess, if you have an unhealthy relationship with something, that's probably the truth. But um, I'm pretty much on the same page as where you stand on this. And that's the fact that, you know, if people were addicted to sugar, then why is it that they always go for the same um, products that contain sugar in them? For example, let's say someone is addicted to um, like milk chocolate, right? But yeah, if I give you some dark chocolate, you won't eat it or something. It's because there's still sugar in there as well. But you know, a lot of people will go, well, no, I, d- I don't like dark chocolate. Or, you know, or you like, I don't know, a donut. But yeah, if I give you like um, a-, a carrot cake, you know, you're not going to eat it because the thing is, though, it's not sugar you're addicted to. It's a certain flavor profile or, as you call, like high, highly palatable foods that, you know, people want to go towards. And that's the stuff that people usually have some form of a relationship with. So, you know, a lot of people have the relationship of, you know, chocolate makes me feel good. It's nice on my mouth. It's nice to consume. It's like what people would call, quote unquote, a guilty pleasure, um, which we can come onto that term a bit in a bit. But like that does not make the product or the item um, addictive. It just means that that is a product that you like and you want because it's something that you enjoy the taste of. We all have different taste buds and we all like different things. But if it's sugar as a whole, why are you not consuming sugar on its own? And why are you not eating every single thing that contains sugar in it? So it's not a sugar addiction, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I I, I see your point. And I think part of it is like when you talk about like a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction, those things are not required. 
And don't get me wrong, hyper palatable foods are not required, but food is, you know, so there's actually debate. I was actually on another podcast a while back and there's a debate whether food addiction exists because food is required for life. And I, I think even further is there are, you know, drug like situations and alcohol like situations are removable from your behavior. You can stop hanging out with that crowd of people. You can not go to bars anymore. You know, alcohol a little bit trickier because it does exist in grocery stores and at normal like sit down and eat restaurants. But, you know, you can stay away from the environment where alcohol is a temptation. You can remove yourself from the environment where drugs are going to be present. You can't remove yourself from food. You know, and it's it's, you know, nobody's bringing heroin into a, a workplace and pop in a quick dose at lunch, but someone is more than welcome to bring cookies in and that's, you just have to live in that environment, you know? So that's, that's one of the main differences. But I think on the flip side, it's like, you know, true addiction, people will do some really extreme things to see their high come to fruition. You know, like people will commit crimes. They will do sexual favors. Like the, it gets really dark with drug addiction and alcohol addiction, the place that it takes people. And you just don't see that level of, of like self deprivation and, and behavior change with sugar addiction. It's, there is a guilt aspect to it. Sure. There, there's behaviors that people are ashamed of, but you know, I've never heard a story of someone, you know, robbing someone for, for, sugar you know i've never heard of someone breaking into a bakery at 2 a.m because they need to get their fix you know so i think there's just a difference in like it's a hard thing to break it's a hard thing to change your relationship with but you know because of the behaviors surrounding it uh are very different than standard addiction like i just don't think it's right i think it's actually unfair demeaning it's it's uh short-changing true addiction of those you know more aggressive type behaviors to be like i just can't cut sugar it's so addicting one of the most common terms whenever i talk about sugar to anyone and it's the one i hear over and over and over again it's that sugar is the devil and so you know a lot of people they they already demonize sugar and now don't get me wrong sugar is well known for you know um raising people's inflammation levels and you know there's no nutritional benefit and you know there's a lot of things that it of of you know we could explain how it doesn't benefit your your body your physical health at all but what it does do is it mentally satisfies a lot of people because they you know they get to have something that they enjoy and so when i say sugar is not um bad what i'm trying to say is that you know there's nothing wrong with consuming foods that we enjoy and make us feel good in small doses and so that doesn't mean you're addicted to it just because you want it more than perhaps you know we may say that you can have because obviously we want people to be able to maintain their weight and just unfortunately a lot of people don't move enough to be able to consume more than they would like and so 
that doesn't mean that you can't consume more of it. It means that people probably need to move more to be able to consume more, but unfortunately they don't. So, you know, it's not that you can't have these things. You can, but it's more for mental satisfaction than it will be for actual health benefits. But that doesn't mean it's also going to ruin your health. Another person who I brought this conversation up with said, sugar turns into fat, which is not a true statement. It, it can be, but it, it doesn't automatically or exclusively turn into fat. No, exactly my point. So sugar alone does not make us fat. And so, and then he went on to talk about the fasting model, but we'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. But the only way that you can gain weight is if you consume more energy than you expend. And so if you consume more calories than you expend, then you are going to that will lead to weight gain, which will come with fat gain. But where, where was I going before that? I, I say I said a, a statement. Oh, the the insulin model. So you know, if the reason why people believe that sugar equals fat gain is because in intermittent fasting they tell you to train fasted because they they make you believe that if you train fasted you are going to burn more body fat than you would do anything else and the reason why they've come to that conclusion and i remember because i did it when i was younger too is because if you don't consume food for longer than an eight hour window you have uh, no or less glycogen in the body and so as there's no sugar in the body they say you're going to burn more fat is that right yeah which which isn't the insulin model the carb insulin model is the idea that carbohydrates spike insulin. Insulin is a storage hormone, and the storage form of energy is pre- predominantly fat. So by limiting carbohydrate intake, you limit insulin spiking and therefore limit body fat storage because without the quote-unquote storage hormone, you aren't going to store body fat. Sure, but those same um, people also believe that because of that model that sugar would lead to weight gain or fat gain right that's the carb insulin model the fasted training is more and yeah it's glycogen which there's no such thing as zero glycogen like when glycogen gets under i believe it's 70 percent, you start hitting the wall like it's your body's not ever going to completely deplete you are in a glycogen depleted state when it's lower than optimal but it's really hard to get down to zero glycogen. It's, it typically only happens in death, and it's called rigor mortis. Um, I do want to circle back. So first I wanted to talk about, just real quickly, the definition of addiction and addictive. You know, like when it pops, are addicted. So the, the addiction, the definition is not helpful, but literally the sentence underneath addiction is he committed theft to finance his drug addiction. <laughs> Uh, I just thought that was funny that that was the like example of how to use the word addiction in a sentence. But addicted is physically and mentally dependent on a particular substance and unable to stop taking it without incurring adverse effects. And I think that last part is very pivotal to why sugar is not truly addictive because there are no adverse effects to removing sugar from the diet. You know, if you were to give up sugar, if you're quote unquote addicted to it, you wouldn't see any drastic adverse effects. It would just be different. It's hard. You know, the mental withdrawal because you like sugar and it's it's fun to consume and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I, I can see 
it's tough. I, you know, not being easy is not an adverse effect. It's just a challenge. And that's where I um, think a I'll, lot of people are confusing sugar with addiction because they think because they have a craving, they're taking that as some form of a withdrawal symptom. Um, I want to circle back to something that you said that I actually do disagree with, which is sugar not having any nutritional benefit. Go I think on, it's then. a garbage statement. I think it's something that people keep reiterating and it's simply not true. Um, sugar is not nutrient dense, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a nutritional benefit. And I think it's one of these great lies that keeps get, getting reiterated, you know, because most of the world, the countries we live in, the first world countries, etc., are suffering from diabetes and obesity and hypertension and these preventable diseases, the general public health information is, is that we need to reduce sugar intake. We need to reduce saturated fat intake. We need to move more blah, blah, you know, so that's the general population since most people are obese and, and diabetic, etc. That's not bad general public health advice. But sugar is without a doubt an undisputedly the best source of energy pre-exercise. Good luck getting that kind. As a matter of fact, fiber is a bad source of energy. Any high fiber carbohydrate pre-exercise causes GI distress and is a problem. So it's, there's advice where sugar is acceptable and it's actually preferred, you know, especially intra exercise. If you're a endurance athlete in any way, shape or form, you are never going to refuel without sugar. You are going to hit the wall. You're going to bonk out and you're done. And so it does have a nutritional benefit and it's absolutely okay to eat. It's a perfectly acceptable food source. Uh, you know, I defend sports drinks left and right because, yeah, sure, Joe Schmo sedentary sitting on his couch doesn't need Gatorade in place of soda. It's effectively the same thing. But that doesn't make it an a unhealthy beverage to have Gatorade. It just means people are using it wrong. And so, so I, I just I, – I don't think it's no nutritional benefit. It's just not nutrient-dense, and sometimes that's okay. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess you know, like so, I, I, so it's we've we've all seen people you know nearly pass out in the gym or you know from training, and the first thing that someone goes to reach for is some form of sugar to give that person. Yeah, I mean, type one diabetics have to have some kind of sugar or glucose tablet on hand because if they take too much insulin and don't eat enough, guess what? Crap. Um, yep, and they can go hypoglycemic and die. Too low of blood sugar is fatal. So, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to touch on like the, the science behind why I don't think sugar is addictive. Cool. And, and essentially there, there is no science supporting sugar addiction. There is no research showing that sugar addiction exists. There is no research showing what people claim about sugar and how it's just as bad as cocaine. And this, th these statements come from people who don't understand biochemistry or brain chemistry. E essentially sugar does absolutely spike the same neurotransmitters that make you happy and are spiked through drug use, dopamine, serotonin, etc. You know, those, those are the happy 
hormones, happy neurotransmitters that get released from drug use. It is nowhere near the same magnitude of release of these transmitters from sugar use as it is from drug use. So, yes, the same things are being spiked, but dopamine and serotonin are also released when someone gives you a hug or your team wins or you get a high five. You know, ride, oh, I'm, I'm high off this win from a challenging, you know, sporting competition. Those are the same neurotransmitters. It's just magnitudes, how, how drastically. And so, you know, you hear BioLane say all the time, the dose makes the poison. And I think this is, you know, similar. And the dose at which these transmitters are released makes something a class of drug versus just a biochemical response. And so... It just doesn't get there. You know, sugar's not releasing it in the same level as these drugs. And actually, when you look at the, this neurotransmitter response from food addiction, the people that were believed to have food addiction, it wasn't actually the consumption of food that caused this drastic release in dopamine and serotonin, but the anticipation of food. The thought or the, the knowledge of consuming a food released a neurotransmitter response and when they consume the food, it didn't match that expectation. So they overconsumed to try to meet that expectation. So the actual consumption of food was lower than expected. And it was disappointing subconsciously. So they would consume more food to try to chase that dragon, reach that high. You know, and so that's, that's you know, the, the biochemistry as I understand it from a sugar addiction and food addiction standpoint, obviously it gets much more complicated and, and in depth than that. But like I read an ungodly number of articles trying to understand all this when I was doing my research for that podcast. Yeah. I mean, I've had some clients in the past who, you know, they would class themselves as addicted to certain foods. But then when I've really delved into, you know, the the reason why people go towards their foods they've got some form of history from whether that's their childhood or being deprived of something or they had to like go and sneak something and it made them feel good about themselves or whatever you know and so then they go that was the only time i was allowed to have um said food or something and they'd go it made me feel good as a kid and like when they're stressed in life now they you know, eating that same um, product would, you know, bring out those same feelings in them. And so they actually found that it wasn't food or sugar that they were addicted to as such. They were addicted to the feeling of feeling good when life was not so good, you know, when life was bad or stressful or, or they were upset. And so then the foods that make them feel good was a quick distraction, you know, the same way some people would go to sleep or they would go binge on Netflix, go play games, or, you know, they would find a way to distract whatever they're feeling. And for some people, they would use food food as that tool to get away from what they're trying to get away from. And so, you know, that doesn't make it addictive. It means that you're using it as a coping mechanism. Correct. You know, and that's that's another episode in and of itself is, is food as a coping mechanism and how to deal with that kind of stuff. Um in the research that I've done and in speaking with eating disorder dietitians and, and people who deal largely with the mental side of, of food and how people and why people consume binge eating, et cetera, one thing that did come up constantly that helps explain a sugar addiction or any food addiction when you know we use that term lightly, as I pointed out earlier, 
um, was what's called a guilt denial cycle. And most people will resonate with this, how to break them, you know, I guess, give me a call. We'll talk in more in depth one-on-one, but a guilt denial cycle, essentially, I call it the don't think about a pink elephant concept, but people decide they food is off limits because of a history of poor consumption, binging, uh, lack of self-control. You name the litany of reasons why people have decided we'll pick our ch- uh, a, a food at random. So we'll say, um, cookies you know i'm swearing off cookies every time there's cookies i eat too many and cookies suck i just they're bad for you i'm addicted well unfortunately the subconscious mind does not understand the word no negative attachment is a conscious thought so you say no more cookies well the subconscious mind don't think about a pink elephant hears Cookies, 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 over and over and over again. So you actually obsess over it to the point of breakdown, overconsumption, and then guilt repeat cycle. I feel guilty. I swear it off. I obsess over it. I binge it. I feel guilty. I swear it off. And you have that cycle occur on and on until the end of time. And that is most people's experience with a food addiction is these this cycle of self-loathing that that winds up occurring and the the proper name for it is a guilt restriction cycle well it's no different so when people get hangovers i'm never drinking again and next thing you know the next night they're already out drinking (laughs) and then they're hungover and they'll repeat the same thing all over again and don't get me wrong i'll get drunk to the point of a hangover again in my lifetime but in my experience from having some pretty gnarly hangovers and just you know not being in charge of my self. I don't like that feeling. I've gotten over it and I'm more of a moderate alcohol consumer, a couple beers, glasses of wine, you know, I'll go to bottomless brunch, but it's not like I'm getting shit canned and having to take a cab home and leave my car in the parking garage. Like I'm going to have a few and eat some food over a four or five hour period and then, you know, get home. Last time I was hungover was your wedding. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> people don't need to know that I was like I, stumbling into that cafe and you were all laughing at me. <laughs> you were bad off, man. We we like we kept texting to see if you still existed. I didn't feel like I existed. <laughs> yeah, you you were rough. It, that was funny. That cafe I can't was believe. bomb though. Oh, no, you know what? I can't tell you. Like, I really struggled with how greasy that food was. It just, I felt, when I left America after your wedding, I felt so, like, and this is just, like, my interpretation of how I felt, but I felt so unhealthy, man. Like, I just felt heavy when I got back. I I never craved, like, nutritious food so much in my life after leaving like hell yeah america (laughs) you know but that's another episode is you know restaurant food in general like that's not how i eat and i think you know a lot of americans do just eat out constantly and and you know we can talk about it another another time but sometimes that's just you know restaurant food is not designed to be healthy it's designed to taste good and you know get good reviews for sure Um, well, let's let's bring it up as another topic. Well, let's Absolutely. wrap this I, one up. Yeah, I got to go upstairs and uh, and check on my pork, make sure it's not burning. 
I oh, never mind. Cool. I got it. On, I got it on my phone. It's I got ten degrees left, so I'll have to pop it out of the oven pretty soon. All right, sweet. Let's wrap yeah. up. So black and I was pork. Yep. Sweet. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. A healthy debate runs purely on fat and is completely free of banned substances. This episode was edited by Blair Solberger, so if it sucks, blame him. The next episode will be out in a week wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at A Healthy Debate or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at A Healthy Debate.